Welcome to A Mindfully Meg. I'm Meg. Here we'll be discussing everything and in between on the journey related to yourself and itself with a capital S. On this podcast, I share my own experiences and tools that I've learned and hopes it might comfort some of you and in others plant seeds of openness and awareness. On this show, we explore all things related to consciousness, metaphysics, sex, love, God, religion, relationships, methods of healing, and so much more. So if you're curious about the mind-body-soul connection and a little more curious about how to love yourself more too, join me and John today. We are welcoming you all back again. We just released another episode on relationships. So mindfully Meg and unapologetically John joining you guys again today for a follow-up episode called A Dark Night of the Soul. And so if you know about a bad breakup or if you have a bad night, you might experience a dark night of the soul. And before we get into today's topic, let's go ahead and take a moment to take our selfie, check in with ourself. So everybody together, take a deep breath in, hold it, and a deep breath out. Check in. How are you feeling? Are you present in this moment, in this topic? So join us. Hey, John, how are you? Meg, I'm good. It's so nice to do this podcast at a later date. We're wearing the exact same clothes. Isn't that interesting? Oh. <laughs> I guess we, uh, just did laundry. Just did laundry. Uh, you I'm, know, we like to keep it consistent around here. Just kidding. No, I was telling Meg on the break, actually, that and it's funny that we take that opportunity to feel into our body because I have the, you know, propensity to spend a lot of time thinking about what that feels like or thinking about what that means. But um serendipitously enough as we're doing an episode on relationships I actually get a text message from an ex-partner and I was telling Meg during the break I I just sat with it I didn't try to think about it too much even the context of the message was irrelevant just you know getting a message from that person and having conversation with them and just still realizing that when you actually sit with something you can feel into it like somatically like what does this actually feel like right now it doesn't feel great Oh, why doesn't it feel that way? You know, is there still, are there still scars? Are there still wounds? Is there still hurt even internally? So even as I reflect on that, and we talk about this concept of dark nights of the soul, sometimes it feels like a dark moment of the soul. Sometimes it's a dark week of the soul. For some, it can be a dark year of the soul. It's when we quickly kind of drop into that just again, it's more of a somatic experience to me when we get into dark nights of the soul, Meg. It's not so much what has actually happened to, I guess, push someone to having what we metaphorically call a dark night of the soul, but it's more that experience, what it feels like to be in the midst of experiencing that dark night of the soul. So even as you talk about um, what that feels like, that actual experience, for me, it's very much in my body. I feel it in my solar plexus. I feel very tight, locked up, constricted in my heart. I feel my abdomen shallow, like harder to breathe almost. Even over, so what's interesting, and when you think about this, and I'd love your comment on this, Meg, as we unpack this. When I have a dark night of the soul, I also tend to go much more into my head. Now you're thinking about everything because the body hurts, man. 
the body keeps the score. The body is where these wounded energies are sitting. Now you're spending all your time in your head. Why'd she go? Who's she with? What's going on? Where am I going? What am I doing? Ping pong in the head. And I'm just giving you, it's like being John Malkovich right now. I'm giving you the inside experience. And maybe there's some relatability for you. But when we don't check in with our body and allow feelings to pass through us, those energies do get stuck. And with those stuck energies, at least from my perspective, now we're spending more time in the head. We're not actually taking action. We're not actually feeling into it. Any relatability with that, Meg, like even in terms of yourself, like when you look at the maybe the feelings or the pains associated with the dark night of the soul and the correlation to overthinking in the midst of that? Yeah. So I think that's interesting. You said yours is more in the body, mine is so in the mind. But before I get into that, I want to, for those of us listening that are not aware of what we're referring to when we say a dark night of the soul or dark nights of the soul. Uh, it's a reference that I found. Um, you know, I was like, what am I feeling? And then I saw it like from other pages and talking to John, I was like, holy shit, this is a dark night of the soul. And it describes it um, very well. So what, what it is, is oftenly used to describe an extremely difficult or painful period in one's life. Some people describe it as the absence of God or just this ultimate feeling of loneliness, like your soul is in so much pain. And and for me, I feel like um, it's usually after a breakup, right? Um, I take I take rejection really hard and I take it personally and I'm working on that. But um, for me, it's it's more so in my mind. It's that you should really be, is it gasalt therapy or gasalt theory where it's like the thought is just the thought, period. Like we broke up, period. Not we broke up because he blah, 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 and blah, blah, blah. And then you get down this rabbit hole of like detrimenting negative thoughts that just spin. And that's when I, I find myself in that. And sometimes it's not always after a breakup. It's a very low, dangerous time of the absence of self-love. I also feel and be very, very mindful when you're in these dark times, like you said, they may not be one night, they may be for several nights and they may be lingering for longer than that. For some people that maybe experience a loss, not just in a romantic relationship or grieving someone else. And I have to remember to find my feet. This is what my teacher taught me when I get so in my mind can you really feel your feet? And you're like, holy shit. No, like I wasn't even aware of my own body. And so I go and I ask myself, where are your feet? That's why I say in meditation, like wiggle your toes, find your body. So I think that's, that's interesting. Yeah. I think it's a dark side of your mind. And even though you trust your mind, I feel like in these nights, you cannot trust your mind and you're highly emotional. And I think it's okay. I know you were saying coming back from break, you heard from an ex-girlfriend of yours where your body has this reaction, even though you've mentally accepted it. And I believe it's a, maybe you learned about this in Bali, maybe not. They have manas in our body and they say that our manas remember things like thousands of times more and deeper than our actual brain memories can. So 
it's no coincidence that your body has an actual response when you see someone because your body actually stores more memory than your mind does. Well, and, and yeah, and that makes so much, much sense because a lot of that energy that's stored in the body is from past emotions. And then it's mm-hmm. like, we're reprojecting these stories. I even look at in the midst of darkness, we predict things into the future based on how we're feeling in the present. So even Meg, when you talk about going to the mind, I would say, yeah, for myself as well, it is actually going to the mind. But I think the reason I'm spending more time in the mind is because the physiology of the body is affected as well by virtue of being within a dark night of the soul, right? So I think for myself, and maybe for a lot of men, it's, I I talk about that journey from the head to the heart, like intellectualizing things to actually being with them emotionally, like how does this feel? And I personally do believe, especially with a lot of men, we don't ask ourselves that question enough. Like, how does this actually feel? Not like, how do I have to react to protect the fabricated identity that I think I am? Or that's maybe dissolving before me, hence why I'm in a dark night of the soul as that egoic construct disintegrates for some of us. But this idea for sure of just what, what the experience is like insofar as feeling trapped in the mind also. And you talked about the cyclical vicious thinking. And that's such a big component, I feel. Um, I, I love like Dark Night of the Soul sounds like a Shakespeare poem. It's like a Dark Night of the Soul, you know. It, I just, There's an I, actual poem. I Googled it. The Dark Night of the Soul. Did I, you know that? It's from like the 16th century or something. Around Shakespearean time, I presume. Uh, but Don't call me. I have no idea. <laughs> I, but for me, you know, when I when I look at that Dark Night of the Soul, the picture that comes in my mind is this idea of being in a super long tunnel. And what's interesting about the tunnel is that because you're so far in, all you see is darkness all around you on both sides. But you know, at some point, intellectually, you entered the tunnel. It was a long time ago. So you can't even really fabricate it in your mind. So you're sitting in the darkness, hence the Dark Night of the Soul. But you can't go back to where you came from because the universe doesn't allow for that. But you want to. You want to maybe go back and change a few things. Maybe you could have made a few different uh, moves along the way. So as you're sitting in the midst of this tunnel, on the other side, there's this little flicker in you that knows that there is light. There's light at the end of the tunnel. But I take it a step further. Because when we do eventually try to transcend a dark night of the soul, it's not the analogy that there's light at the end of the tunnel. There's always light in the tunnel because you are light. We are light. Mm. And I think what I have come to realize that when I do succumb to the darkness, I know that I have to illuminate. I know that I have to light myself up. Much like a metaphorical flashlight, that is the only way to shine light in the darkness. So I wanted to share for people, including myself, when I am there, I know that by me taking radical responsibility in the midst of the darkness is like, is the only way to illuminate, to get out. Because I feel there's part of us sometimes that during a dark night of the soul is waiting for that savior in the night to just come and pull us right out and everything's going to be okay again. That thing out there is going to make everything okay possibly temporarily. It's like jumping into a new relationship right away, going and buying external things, making yourself feel good. When in reality, the only entity that can really pull you out is, is, is a version of yourself that lights up, you know, that, that, that just shows that the light is and always was there. So 
I hope that analogy, you know, at least sits with you when you think about yourself in the midst of a tunnel, you think about light at the end of the tunnel, and then you realize to actually navigate through the tunnel that is life, you are light. And as you light up now, it's like, you're happy to be in the tunnel. You're like, whoa, this tunnel is light. This is like the Lincoln Expressway. I can see now. Okay. This is going to be okay. You know? I don't know about you, but I do not like the tunnel. I do not like the dark night and I don't, I don't actually appreciate it. Uh, We're like you, you can, you have a newfound appreciation. I don't, I think it's the lowest and I think scariest point points in my life. I've had it probably a couple of times where for those of you that are, you know, if you've been there, you're just like, like Nathaniel was like, God, why do you turn your face from me? Where you feel like there's no hope. You're questioning your existence. I don't know if you've been there and you're having scary freaking thoughts where it's like, I can't believe my family's probably going to be shocked that I've had these thoughts of like, who's going to miss me? Why the heck am I here now? Because it is so unbelievably painful and like gut-wrenching. And maybe some people think I'm crazy for saying this, um, but you're just highly emotional. I also think because your your mind is like, you can't trust your mind, right? And so with that, it's just like, what do you turn to? Who do you turn to to get yourself out, right? And to not make, you know, a permanent decision on a temporary emotion. And my saving grace was, you know, you can be alone and you can want to be alone. And it's almost like you stay in that loneliness intentionally. But I called a friend or I called another friend. I call until someone picks up and then God bless that soul that just picks up and wants to hear me sobbing. You know Mm -hmm. what I'm saying? And for those people that don't have someone to pick up the phone, like my heart goes out to you because that's a lot to deal with alone. And John and myself are always here. So please DM us, call us, whatever you guys need, because you all are loved and appreciated. You would be missed. And so if anybody needs to hear that, just because this one moment in your life don't let it define your entire life and your entire existence on earth right so i know john leading into that you were very public about one of your times that you were going through that you put it on social media you were sobbing in tears and it was like gut-wrenching for me to watch but i was so appreciative because i was like holy shit if i go through this again heaven forbid I need to videotape myself too, because it's like, it is night and day to what you go through. And it just was so nice to empathize because when people go through these dark times, we're also like in shame. Like we don't want anybody to know that we're going through this. Like it's shameful to cry in public or something like that. When really it's just like, you're just freaking expressing your emotion at the time. It doesn't make you weak. You're actually strong AF if you make it out the other side of a dark night of the soul. You know what I'm saying? Or dark days or a dark year. But I just wanted to commend you for that. And maybe you can like go into your thought process of why you were like, hell yeah, I'm going to make a video of this trauma I'm going through. And you know what? I'm going to have the courage to put it on social media. 
No, and I really appreciate the acknowledgement as well, because, you know, that was that was in November, actually, November of, I guess, last year. And it was shortly after myself and my ex-girlfriend had had broken up. And I just remember in that moment, there was a sense of like, there was still this sense of optimism in my heart that like, at some point this would pass, but just acknowledging what that felt like in my body and just giving it permission to like, to really come out and be unearthed. And you talked about the aspect of shame, you know, shame being the lowest vibrational frequency. And I was ashamed. I was ashamed that I tried again with somebody and that it didn't work out. I was ashamed that I was feeling this way while I was in Victoria trying to figure out my quote unquote life. I had a lot of shame, like a lot of shame. And by putting it on social media, I know Brittany Brown talks about this, but like shame, shame hates vulnerability. Like shame is like, oh, vulnerability, stay out of here. And like, for me, I just like at that point, I'm like, I don't give a shit. Like I'm, I'm, I'm a heartbroken dude right now. Um, trying to figure out my life at 34 years old. This is who I am. And this is what I'm experiencing. So many people are sharing things on social media that are so fabricated and fake. And I'm just like, this is just like where I'm at right now. And it it honestly wasn't a cry. And I just say this because with the purity of my intention, for me, it was not a cry for help. I wasn't seeking empathy. I really wanted to give permission to other people to do the same, to just feel like, oh my God, look at John Bloomberg crying, crying on Instagram. Like, cause there were, there were conversations like that had as well. And then there were people like you, Meg, who were like, wow, like, you know, I, I can feel like what he's going through right now. And like, I, I have empathy and compassion and everybody's experience was their own. That's what I came to realize. If I put something on social media because I want you to have a certain experience, I'm not entitled to your experience. Like that's one of the things about being vulnerable is like, however you take it, you take it. However he takes it, he takes it. My intentions, if they're pure, I find in general, they go out into the universe and whatever may come, may come. But I do truly feel though, that aspect of like being vulnerable and putting it out there, it took a huge weight off of me for sure. Cause now there was no, shame. it's like no shame, no blame, never be the same. That's not <laughs> You know, and Jordan Peterson's talking about it a lot. There's things that he struggles with. And, you know, I saw him say the same thing. Like that was so huge where he's like, do not make a permanent decision on a temporary emotion and someone of his caliber, right? So mentally strong, intellectually strong to know, to be able to talk to your right side, left side and be like, okay, I know I'm registering this, but to be able to like, you know, that's what I'm saying. Like the mind plays tricks on even the brightest and the most brilliant that knows the mind even better than we know. I mean, can you really stand a chance? And so I guess, tell us what helped you get out of your moment there. What helped you see the light? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I just have to ask because I am staying in the spare room at my dad's house currently. He just turned on the dryer. Are you hearing that? You I am that? not. No, you're good. <laughs> that was my question. Because I want to be, for the viewers, they'd be like, what is that rumbling in the background? I'll they'd deal with be it. like, dad, I am live recording right now. You're so embarrassing. So when I look at this concept of dark night of the soul, I kind of look at these as metaphors for like, a place and experience that is likely going to come and go in my life. Like, I don't, I don't deny that I will never have a dark night of the soul again. 
I don't deny that it could come up in a moment. It's just like the best version of me wants to let those emotions in life come as they may come. But when I look at this idea of quote unquote, getting out, even coming back from Bali about 11, 12 days ago, I would say I had a few dark nights of the soul. Again, just this lack of like clarity and purpose and where am I going? What am I doing? And not so much the intellectualized version of that, but the emotional stagnation and the paralysis that comes with it, where it's like, it's like apathy. It's like, well, whatever. I don't give a fuck. Like, you know, it's like, it's, it's kind of like, it's kind of that attitude. For me, the best metaphor I compare it to is like when you're driving a manual car, you don't go from reverse to sixth gear. You don't just go from dark night of the soul to like standing on top of a podium like, yes, I am the light. Everything is great. It's like when you go from reverse to sixth gear, you go into neutral first. So now the question I ask myself is like, how can I just get myself to neutral right now? Like what's something I can do to just get to a place of neutrality where I'm just like stable, where I can just like kind of stand up and like look out into the metaphorical horizon and like see what's in front of me. And then I can shift into first. Then I can shift into second. The third, maybe I'm cruising now for a bit. So I guess for me, what it really is, it's the mindset that I'm not trying to take on or take over the world from a dark night of the soul. It's like, how can I take one step towards like this projected horizon to just anchor into the stability of that? Because I think when you're trying to contemplate everything, everywhere, all at once, our system can't process that. And then it just shuts down. It just, it's physiologically exhausted. It's intellectually exhausted. It stagnates. So I'm encouraging anybody right now who just, you don't need all the answers. It doesn't all have to be perfect right now. So many times we feel so far from doing that one thing, but there's often just one thing that you can do in a moment that can help get you closer to neutral, to finding stability. I think, Meg, you even mentioning like the ability for you to just call someone and just cry, like and have that space held. That to me is like that's anchoring you to neutral in a sense. It's getting you towards at least a landing point where it's like, okay, I'm safe and I'm held and it's going to be okay. Because you already know that intellectually, just like I do. But in the midst of it, that is so far from your experience. So the body is keeping the score. The body is dictating the terms of engagement and it's saying, dude, well, I, I was dude, like, I can't right now. Like, I just cannot. You cannot what? I cannot anything. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Can you get up and have a nutritious glass of water right now? Like, can we start there? Can you call a friend right now and say, bro, like, I'm in one right now. Okay, dude, I got you. Let's, let's talk through this. Let's just, let's get to neutral. Let's get, let's get to neutrality. And then from there, let's cruise, baby. Let's cruise. Yeah, I think getting to neutral is so key. And even if you're that friend, you don't have to know the right things to say or if that person can't even get the words out. You're just holding space for them and letting them be. But I also think if you're alone, there's been times where I'm just like, just go to sleep. Just go to sleep because that'll shut your mind off for a moment to stop the racing. And then you just wake back up. For me, it's also maybe to get you to neutral is thinking about a loved one that really adores you and depends on you. Like I think about my niece, I'm like, oh my gosh, my mom, my grandparents. Then then you can think of another and then you can think of another and then you start to remember a little bit of who you are. You made yourself, pick yourself up, remember who the F you are and get it together. And And I think that's key, right? 
having a glass of water, do something easy, take a nap for a second, just shut your eyes and rest. Even if your mind won't stop, just do something neutral, take a bath, take a shower, take a walk, something that just helps you get out of your head. I think if anybody's listening, that may be helpful for you. No, and I appreciate, I think all of those are good first steps, like just something that you know that you can do. Because I think what the ego tries to do in, in the darkest nights of the soul is it wants to keep you there, right? Like it's not like looking to lift you up and bring you out of that. So on the other side of the dark night, it's saying, oh, oh, you got some work ahead of you now. Look at this. Look at this. What's on the other side? And then we, you know, we we stagnate or we, we I call it paralysis sometimes for myself in the midst of those experiences. I'm thinking of all the things that I'm going to have to do to figure my way out of this when in reality, it's like on the journey of 10,000 steps, it's one step. It's like, what's just one step that I can take right now? And just asking yourself that question, I I encourage as well within the midst of of true darkness is, remember, you're in the dark. Like when you, like, think about this, if you're in the dark, What's the first thing you would probably do? Like, and you were wandering in a house, you'd say, hey, can can someone turn the lights on? Or, hey, where are the lights? You'd ask questions. You get inquisitive. You're not trying to solve everything in the darkness. You're in the dark. What you need first is the light. So it's like, how can you add a little bit of light? Just a little bit. And that can be as simple as a shower, a glass of water. And on the other side of that, you'll have new answers and new information. It's funny because when I'm in the midst of this, I literally wish this version of me would come and say, hey, bud you thirsty okay let's just have a glass of water let's like your higher version yeah, yeah. or like your spirit guide get, yeah, up, just shows get up, up and have some water go to the gym and do some yoga you lazy <laughs> because i'm like dude like where where does one start so it's like you know anchoring into your feet like you said earlier too meg i think that's beautiful right connecting back to the body grounding yourself and then taking a step forward for sure. And just understanding that everybody can be in the midst of that dark night based on something different. It's not like what what takes someone there uh, may not take someone else there. And also this idea that label it as whatever you want. If if the concept dark night of the soul is, is um, I don't know if it, if it's not ringing right for you. I think what we're really talking about here at the end of the day is when is when you're sitting in the midst of a version of yourself that just feels as if it just has no clue what to do next. It's sitting in that state of paralysis, extremely emotional, um, confused. I, I often use the word apathetic. I think apathetic for me is a word that just really, this it's this aspect of almost not caring in some instances. Um, that's what I've experienced, at least with what I would deem to be, you know, the concept of a dark night of the soul. Yeah, and you know, maybe something that gets you to neutral is opening up the word, you know, reading something from God or the creator. Cause some people describe the dark night of the soul as the absence of God feeling that you're alone. And really when you feel like you have the absence of God is really like the absence of love. Um, because that's why I think your creator and your ultimate divinity is just this unconditional love. Right. So I know in Mindfully Make, we talk about how do we learn that self-love more? And I really feel like the dark night of the soul is literally your absence of self-love. There's like this little tiny residue just left. And it's like remembering 
who you are. So if anybody needs to hear this, you are love. You are lovable, you know, and there's more love to come. And, you know, these experiences um, do not take that away from you. Uh, I had to find out for myself that when I get into these depths, you know, especially if it comes after a breakup is you gave this person too much of your power. You gave your power away for you to be lovable or to feel loved was in someone else, right? Going back to attachment theory, you gave this someone so much power, all of your power to determine if you're lovable or loving or loved. And so now that they took it away, you you lost your power and you feel like nothing. So to be very mindful, planting that seed, to be very conscious when you get into relationships, not to lose yourself, your self-worth, your self-love, you can still love someone else unconditionally, but not to give your power away, your worth away, and to get lazy about seeking that external validation, right? To make sure that you're consciously making sure you're pouring into yourself in that relationship so that if it doesn't work out, it doesn't knock you off as hard, right? Easier said than done, right? You and I both know that now. We're both awakened. But I guarantee I get in this happy, fat state, you know, everybody's comfortable, cozy, we're oozy, goozy, lovable relationship. And I'm like, oh, shit, I got to snap back out of it. I need a minute. I've got to go take time to be alone with myself and make sure that I don't surrender so much of myself and my self-worth into someone else that I can get into this, you know, really epic state um, where I lose myself, you know? Oh, totally. And I, I love how I love how you refer to me as awakened, but I will say that I do take that spiritual nap <laughs> time to time, you know, Meg. I'm not all right. Uh, there you go, right? I and call it a spiritual to... sabbatical, right? I had a margarita taste off the other day and I was like, I just need to check out for two seconds. <laughs> no, you know what it's when I finished up this twenty-two day meditation course in Bali, one of the things the teacher would say is always, you know, you can't give what you don't have. It was a Wayne Dyer quote, like you can't give what you don't have. So even when you talk about the word love, um, I feel it's a word that oftentimes is misunderstood. I do believe that it's the ultimate anchor out of any form of darkness, because even when you talked about the absence of a relationship of God, for those that are non-religious and more spiritual, that could even be an absence of a relationship with source or light or your highest self, right? As we disconnect. And I think ultimately what it is, is it's a fall from frequency, right? There's so many different frequencies that we vibrate on as these sentient bundles of energy. And, you know, for those of you that haven't looked into it, like, you know, when we talk about this idea of being energy, I, I want people to know this isn't some woo-woo spiritual term. Like this is quantum physics proved by guys like Einstein that we, these human beings, these vessels are actually these bundles of cosmic energy, likely made up of the same stardust from the big bang like it's there. there's science behind this spiritual madness sometimes i talk to my, my dad he's like what are you talking about all this energy like i can't see none of this but <laughs> the highest resonating frequency of energy is love because of god mm -hmm. it's that ultimate resonance the source the oneness that we spoke about previously because that oneness and that divinity and that relationship with god meg it actually exists within us when we resonate at the frequency of love, when we reconnect with what we are, now we're, it's almost as if we're being pulled 
out of the darkness because we are there's just too there's always so much light so like from a physics point of view literally the way that we the way that we constrict darkness space is darkness is with light and the light is more powerful than the darkness we resonate with love we find love first for ourselves and then we can shoot that love outwards because if you're trying to love people during a dark night of the soul I don't want any of that love. You keep that love to yourself. Like I know what that love looks like because I've given that love, right? When you're, you know, when you're really disconnected from it all. Yeah. So it's like, maybe now we can articulate the dark night of the soul is just the absence of love. And that is a lonely place. And, you know, we talk about it again and again, how important love is, self-love is, and how we just need to be kind and loving to each other. But, you know, there's something to be said about suffering, right? With Buddha, you know, with mm. Jesus, there's lots of spiritual teachings about suffering and yeah. what it does for us consciously and, you know, metaphysically, you just so to know that you're not alone in your suffering is the whole reason I think why John and I want to do this episode, right? I don't think there's enough people talking about it. Um, maybe there is, maybe there's not, but for anybody thinking that they're suffering or going through something, you know, turn this on and find comfort knowing that we're here for you. But did you have anything in mind as far as in your travels in Bali um, mm. about suffering or that you learned that you wanted to share? You know, I think with suffering, one of the the teachings again, and it's uh, again, you know, while I was in Bali, the concept of suffering actually came up quite often. And this idea that, you know, suffering really, the greatest version of us understands that suffering is optional, but pain and challenges will be there. And what I mean by that is that when we truly suffer, we're usually suffering based on a narrative or an expectation of how things should be versus how things are. So there's this gap, right? And the gap between those two points is usually the extent to which we suffer. So if we're constantly telling ourselves stories about how everything is supposed to be and how the universe is supposed to unfold, and the reality differs from that substantially, and we're holding on so tight to the way that we need, quote unquote, it to be, we're going to suffer. If you go stick your hand on a hot element, you are going to have pain. You're going to have physiological pain. Absolutely. But that is not the same thing as suffering. Like, e like, even when I look at like, when I look at Jesus himself, there's that aspect of physiological pain, I could only imagine the pain that Jesus had to go through to make the ultimate sacrifice for for humanity for those that have that that belief. This concept of when we look back at our suffering, like when we really look back at it, I, th I do believe the best version of us realizes that we suffered to the extent that we didn't accept reality. We didn't accept a moment for what it was. There was a gap between what we expected and quote unquote, mm -hmm. what was delivered. That's and so good. Yeah. It's like that mind mastering your mind is self mastery. I'm in a self mastery class right now. And they're like, well, that's what you tell yourself. And I'm like, well, that's in your mind. And someone else may have something about fear. Someone has something about surrender. Somebody has something about suffering. And every single one of them is a story that we have made up in our mind about what it's about, creating all of our own individual sufferings in a different way. And that's why to really 
master it, quote unquote, is to really master your mind, right? I really identify who's creating that suffering. Is it me? Is it them? Is it really real? Is it fake? Did I make this up? You know what I'm saying? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, no. And I, again, like so often I do feel that it it comes it, again, it comes from that story. But when you're in the midst of it, let's not let's not deny that experience at all. Like when you're in the midst of true suffering, like what that feels like in the body, there's a real physiological response of what it feels like to suffer. I just believe that at the end of the day, like the best version of me, which doesn't show up as often as I'd like him to, he needs to show up more. He's got some decent advice is going to say, dude, the more that you deny your current reality, the more you're going to suffer. So if you want to deny, that's fine, but just be prepared to suffer. And it's like, that's simple. And then it's like, yeah, I'm going to deny it right now because the human in me just feels that it needs to do that. Brother, no problem. I love you. Suffer. And when you're done, I'll still be here. My message won't change though. It'll still be like, <laughs> you're denying reality right now. You're going to That's suffer. so true. That's my biggest thing is make you want to keep living and saying that this is your reality or you're going to just go ahead and surrender. Go ahead and surrender to it. And then your reality can change as quick as you can do that. And it's you're just stubborn. And just in closing on that topic, just like what we focus on is what manifests. Like what we focus our attention on is where the energy flows. And again, in the midst of it, it's like, well, I have to think about this right now. Why? Because it's a problem. Well, why is it a problem? Because you're thinking about it. Like the the minute you let it pass by and you take the mind off it and it just, it's something that is now you're in a state of awareness. Like, Hey, this objectively is what's happening right now. Like a girl left a boy and the girl's with another boy. Okay. There's a story behind that as well, though. Absolutely. There's a narration and behind the narration, there's an emotion. This is just like a movie that was produced. Why do you think movies play on our emotions so much? Because they're told with stories and we relate to stories because stories have emotions. But when you remove the stories, the emotions start to dissipate. You can still honor the experience. You can carry it as wisdom. But now you can be more objective. You know, a man lost a business. A man got divorced. A man, um, you know, is no longer with it. Like, whatever it is. And I know that might sound almost mundane in terms of just thinking about that conceptually. But at the end of the day, that that is what it is in the absence of a story. And that will give some reprieve as well. You know, try that on for size and see if see if that gives you a little sense of reprieve as well. As you change the narration, you let the emotions fall a little bit. See if there's maybe something to learn. I don't know. What do you think, Meg? Is there is there some, something to learn there? Always, always learning with you, John. Mm-hmm. Um, in closing, I want to read a little bit of Young um, Pueblo. I know that I brought them up last time, but I think this is good. And maybe this can be how you may feel on a dark night of the soul. Maybe even not, but it's disconnected in parentheses, right? I kept getting crushed by my own expectations. Like you said, barely present thinking, but not feeling speaking, but not listening, interacting, but not noticing right? When we have that like numb state, we're just numbly moving through life, just checking out, smiling to continue the performance. My heart struggled with gratitude. I think even when we're in these states, man, if we could just get an ounce of gratitude, it would just bring our vibration up tremendously. That could be something else that brings you back to neutrals. Think of one thing that you're just freaking grateful for in that moment. 
you know? Never feeling satisfied, always missing what was in front of me. I think I do that a lot because my mind kept jumping into imagining what more I could want, right? That's that rat race that we have, you know, that treadmill that we're always on that really um, what you're saying leads to our dissatisfaction. And again, which made everything I was given never quite as special as what I had envisioned. And so I love this because we take it away from ourselves, right? We get ourselves into these states and just to be aware when we're in moments feeling disconnected, as that poem said, just to be aware that we are. And as soon as we feel that way, try to take steps to correct us back so that we don't get so deep um, and lost. Any final words from you, John? None that could up the great young Pueblo, that's for sure. He had that <laughs> young Pueblo. I, I do. Is that Common Clarity or which book is that? I know he's uh, a, Clarity and Connection. Yeah. We'll put it on the gram, put a link that's to like it. Almost, that's like it. a great, like, like putting your bag, like bedstand type book. Cause like you can just, whatever page you go to, you pull out a nugget, you're like, whoa, young Pueblo. No, I love yeah. that. I love oh, that. Like, idea. This one is so good too. This is what you yeah, said. Yeah. I don't know if I'm legally allowed to do this to read from it, but whatever. It could only increase his sales. Yeah, I don't think he's gonna, he seems like a pretty chill dude. Yeah, it is not about managing your emotions. It's about managing your reactions to your emotions, right? And that's really what we're saying here. Wow. You're gonna overreact in this dark night of the soul, but managing your reaction. Don't do something in the moment out of the emotion and managing that, taking the responsibility and, and being responsible to get yourself out of it. No, I love that. Again, so brilliantly put, right. Taking responsibility for being able to express the emotion, but on the other side of that, how are you responding? Yeah, no, that young Pueblo impressive. I think he's got three books now. So many. I got more. We can, we can link them. Yeah. Well, maybe, thanks so much. <laughs> yeah. Hey, let's, you know, ask and it is given. So we'll see, you know, go yeah. ahead and like, and speaking of like, like follow our page, sign up for notifications, whatever have you on our Instagrams. You have unapologetically John here and mindfully make, but, uh, uh, mine is at a journey to ourself because you're never alone and because mindfully Meg was already taken by somebody that I don't know. And then John, yours is? Mine's at mindfully Meg. I actually took that. So. <laughs> oh, perfect. I was the guy that's, that's, that was part of the whole setup. No, that unapologetically John and guys, if it resonates and hits, uh, you know, please share it with, you know, friends, family, those close to you that can benefit from the message. Thank you, Meg, as well, for always hosting such a great space. I, I always enjoy our chats, and I'm grateful that we can share them with those that uh, want to listen. Perfect. Well, thanks again so much for listening to everyone. Stay tuned. We'll have more episodes releasing for you all. But thank you so much for listening. I'm mindfully Meg. Ciao, ciao.